Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. I appreciate y'all having me here. I thank the elders for, for asking me back to speak. Uh, it's good to see everybody again and good to be here. And since now we've cheated and you see the topic of my lesson today, we're going to talk a little bit about anxiety and something we all experience, something we all go through no matter what stage of life we're in. We all deal with anxiety in our lives, and you can't help but get around it, especially this this time of year. There's a lot of kids starting school for the first time. Many tears are shed because of that. There are many tears shed by moms because of that. Um, There are children changing schools and going to a new school and feeling anxiety and nervousness for that reason. Uh, There's a lot of people who are feeling nervousness as to if it's going to be Jalen or Tua this year. And who's going to be the quarterback? Or if Stidham is going to be able to get Auburn back in the SEC championship game this year? There's a whole lot of nervousness and anxiety because football season's upon us. But no matter where we are in life, there's anxiety waiting for us. Well, the thing is, is Jesus was no stranger to anxiety either. So you start looking at this, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to do. To look at Jesus, God's son, and look into his mind and his emotions that he was experiencing. That's a pretty deep topic. It's what my wife said to me. She said, what are you going to speak on? I said, the anxiety of Jesus. She said, whoa, that's a pretty deep topic. It is. So I do what every person would probably do if you're going to talk about the anxiety of Jesus. I, I Googled it. I started to look up. What, um, what the anxiety of Jesus had on the internet. And of course it pulled up so many articles I would never have had time to read all of them. So I thought, well surely somebody wrote a book about it, the anxiety of Jesus. So I went on Amazon, typed in the anxiety of Jesus, and this is what I found. A baby Jesus in the manger fidget spinner. Remember how Remember how these were taking over the world last year? I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without kids having like eight of these in their pockets. Even my kids, I mean, they were strewn throughout the house. Couldn't get away from these things. But anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. The anxiety of Jesus and you get a baby Jesus fidget spinner. But let's talk about what anxiety is. That's hard to see that. It didn't show up too well. Anxiety, what exactly is it? Anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. So we're presented with this situation, 
and we're not sure what's going to happen. So we begin to worry and we begin to get nervous because we don't know what the outcome is going to be. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher and he wrote a book about anxiety. And in it, he said, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Anxiety is what we get caught up in because we look before us and we have all of these choices presented to us, but we're not sure which way to go. Every single day, this happens in my family. Anxiety with the question, what are we going to do for dinner? It used to be easy when there were just two of us, but now we got four other little mouths we got to feed that are relying on us to make a decision. Some of y'all are going to experience this in a few minutes. What are we going to eat for lunch? I don't know. Hopefully you're a better planner sometimes than I am, but you've got, and you've got a decision made. But if you're not sure where to go, it's always the situation of what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? Well, pick something. You pick something. You know how it goes. Everybody's smiling and laughing because you've been there. There's anxiety because you don't know what you're going to do. And if you don't hurry up and make a decision, the lines and the waits at the restaurants might be too long. Or the line at the grocery store might be too long. This is what happens throughout our life. When we get to a stage in life, a point in life where we're presented with multiple choices to make, we enter this period of dizziness where we're unsure which one to choose and it creates this anxiety within us. In fact, there were anxious moments in the Bible. In the Bible, if you think about Abraham, Abraham felt anxiety when he would enter the new cities and it led him to make a poor choice to lie about his wife being his sister. Moses felt anxiety to the point where he didn't want to go and speak to Pharaoh. He made up four different excuses trying to get out of the situation. King Saul felt anxiety and it led him to disobey God and what God was telling him to do. Peter felt anxiety. He felt anxiety when he went to deny Jesus. People said, you were with him, weren't you? He said, no, I don't know the man. So there is anxiety, there are situations of anxiety throughout the Bible in all of these examples that we look up to and that we see. So it is prevalent throughout the Bible. But how does God deal with it? How does God deal with anxiety? So this sermon's a little bit different because we're going to go ahead and present the solution and then we're going to look at examples. How does God deal with it? Look, for example, at the children of Israel. The children of Israel, if you look in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 1, it says, From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They journeyed by stages. Numbers chapter 33 verses 1 and 2 says, These are the stages by which the Israelites went out of the land of Egypt in military formation. Under the leadership of Moses and Aaron, Moses wrote down their starting points stage by stage by command of the Lord. And these are their stages according to their starting places. Did you notice what the common word there is? Stages. 
stage by stage, a voyage that the Israelites could have made in under two weeks, 13 days, it took them 40 years. God knew what he wanted the Israelites to do, and he knew where he wanted them to end up, but they needed to take not 13 days. That would have been too simple, too easy. And he moved it to 40 years and moved them stage by stage by stage by stage. Because when they arrived in the promised land, he needed to make sure that they were the people that they needed to be, that he needed them to be. So he moved them stage by stage by stage. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 29... In verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, that sounds great. That sounds very encouraging. But if you look back at the verse before that, look at what the context is. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon... I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Now, hold on a second. You've got all these plans for us, plans to prosper us, plans to make everything grow. But back up a second. You said something about spending 70 years in Babylon. Well, yeah, God needed them to be in that uncomfortable position to be ready to return so that he could prosper them. God uses anxiety in our lives as a tool. He uses it as a tool to draw us closer to Him. God uses anxiety to keep us from being stuck in the rut of life. One of our favorite places to be is to be comfortable. You can't tell me that it's not nice to just lay on your couch or in your recliner, watch TV, take a nap. We, I mean, that's just an enjoyable place to be is to be comfortable. But being comfortable in life is a lot different because then we get stuck in a rut. And if we're stuck in a rut, we're not growing the way we should be. We're not growing in our Christian lives the way that we should be. So God, he presents us with all this freedom of choice. We can choose to follow him. We can choose not to follow him. We can choose to go out and administer and help other people in the community around us and draw people to us, or we can choose not to. We can choose to talk about Jesus with our co-workers. It may cause us anxiety. We may choose not to. We have choices every day in our lives around us from which we can choose. And God uses that to make us uncomfortable. Because when we're uncomfortable, it makes us work harder to be a better person and to be a better Christian. And in doing so, it draws us closer to Him. It draws us much closer to him. Anxiety helps us to want to be better. So there you go. That's the lesson. That, that's not all the lesson. I told you I was going to give it to you first. And then we're going to look at the examples. There's a little more to go. But that's the general lesson right there. Anxiety helps us to become better, to become better people, to become better Christians, to draw closer to God. That's why God took the children of Israel and led them through that long and tortuous journey to get to the promised land, stage by stage by stage. And that's what we do in life. We go through stages. 
And every new stage, everything is, what's the one constant in life? Change. Everything changes. God uses that to make us better. Let's look a little deeper, though. What about Jesus? We know that God uses anxiety to draw us closer to Him. But how did Jesus deal with it? How did Jesus experience it? What did He go through? First of all, let's make this premise clear. Jesus was 100% human while He was here on this earth. Look at these two verses. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 tells us, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we know, Hebrews, the Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus himself was tempted. And we know that, Matthew chapter 4, which we'll look at in just a moment. We know he was tempted. But James 1.13 tells us, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. He, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now, we can get into the debate of percentage God, percentage man that he was on this earth. That's not the subject of today's lesson. We can talk about that later. But we know that Jesus was tempted. So he did go through exactly what we go through in this life here on earth. But he had a lot harder journey. Turn to Philippians 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, which says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Christ gave up his seat next to God and came to earth to live the absolutely perfect life to be sacrificed to redeem us of our sins. That's a lot of pressure. If anything's going to give anyone that ever lived on this earth any anxiety, that was it. 33 plus years and couldn't make a single mistake. That's a lot of pressure. I don't know that I've even made it this day without making a mistake so far. We probably are all that way. 33 years. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of anxiety that you would have to deal with. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4... When we see where Jesus was tempted, we're given three specific instances where Satan comes to him and presents him with a temptation. And he says no. In verse chapter two, or verse two of Matthew chapter four, it says he had fasted forty days and forty nights. And the funny thing about that verse is right after it it says, and he was hungry. No kidding. I read an article one time about how, how it was good to lose weight if you fasted one day a week. Well, I thought, hey, that might be a great idea. I might try that. So I started on a Monday morning. I made it to 3 o'clock. I was like, I am not doing this. Now, that was just for dietary purposes. It was not for spiritual purposes, and that's a whole other discussion we can have. But I could only make it to 3 o'clock, and I was like, you know what? This is not worth it. I didn't even make it one day. 
40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. I would be too. I don't know if I'd even be walking at that point. Whew, that's a lot. But think about not eating and how weak he was. How just, you know, deluded he was. He was not at his faculties. You know, one of the good things is, is, you know, uh, before a test in school, they would tell us to eat a good breakfast, right? Because your energy would be up. You'd be ready to go. Here he is, hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan is coming after him face-to-face, directly. Remember, he's got this pressure on him that he has to live the perfect life and be that perfect sacrifice, and yet he still made it through those temptations, face-to-face with Satan. And when it was over, he triumphed. And verse 11 in Matthew chapter 4 says the angels came and ministered to him. You can't tell me in that whole situation he didn't have any anxiety because I am almost certain that he did. Could he have fallen to any of those temptations? Yes, he very well could have. Because just like we talked about the definition of anxiety is being presented with the freedom of all of these choices and getting caught up in the dizziness of trying to make the right choice. Jesus faced anxiety there. What about Luke chapter 9? Luke chapter 9, we have the transfiguration. Before Jesus has gone to be sacrificed. And he, in verse 28 it says, It came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, James, and John and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. And his robe became white and glistening. And behold, men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. So here he is talking with Moses and Elijah. And of course, Peter, it says Peter started talking and he had no idea what he was saying. He was just talking out of his head saying we should build temples to all three of them. But that's not the point. Jesus is fixing to face all of these things in front of him. The pressure of living the perfect life, being the perfect sacrifice... Perhaps it was Elijah and Moses who needed to come and give him encouragement. Jesus needed to talk with them so that he would be encouraged to continue along the pathway, even though he was experiencing all of this anxiety from having to make the right choices. If you look in Luke chapter 22, another example of the anxiety that Jesus experienced was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is probably the easiest example to look at and to be reminded of, of how much pressure was on Jesus. Luke, in chapter 22 and verse 44, it says that as Jesus is praying, his sweat sweat became like great drops of blood. Like great drops of blood. There's actually a medical condition called hematidrosis or hematohydrosis. It is a condition that is extremely rare where someone can sweat blood. They are pressured and feel so much, so much intense pressure that they actually physically start to sweat blood. So what happens is there's all of this strain and all of this stress on them. Well, if you remember back to biology and anatomy classes, we have the heart delivers blood to the body through arteries, 
arterioles, and then capillaries. And capillaries feed all of the cells, and then the blood gets drawn back into the veins and delivered back to the heart. Well, all of these tiny little capillaries in your body that deliver all of the blood to the cells, they are wrapped around these sweat glands that we have. And, of course, it's August. Some of y'all are wearing ties. I'm wearing a suit. We all know about sweat glands here in, the, here in Alabama in August. Well, these sweat glands are surrounded by these capillaries. And what happens is when we're under intense physical pain, intense physical pressure, these capillaries become extremely fragile. In fact, the skin in this condition, hematidrosis, becomes extremely fragile. And what happens is the capillaries rupture and start to leak into the sweat gland. And then the person sweats blood. In a couple of uh, scientific papers, medical papers, uh, this particular article called A Curious Case of Sweating Blood, it said hematidrosis is known to be precipitated by stress, strain, or any sort of exertion, and it may occur in individuals with underlying bleeding disorders. In another article, it said it may occur in individuals suffering from extreme levels of stress. Around the sweat glands, there are multiple blood vessels in a net-like form which constrict under the pressure of great stress. Then, as the anxiety passes, the blood vessels dilate to the point of rupture and goes into the sweat glands. As the sweat glands produce a lot of sweat, they push the blood to the surface, which comes out as droplets of blood mixed with sweat. So not only that, Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane It made his skin extremely fragile before he was to be presented to the soldiers to be scourged, to have a crown of thorns with two-inch thorns pressed down into his skull, to be delivered to be scourged and flogged with a whip that had tiny pieces of bone, metal, and glass that would tear the skin, the muscle from his back. This was the type of condition That he was headed to the cross in. Of course he was experiencing anxiety. If you look at the three accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. As Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane. It says in Matthew he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. He says my soul is exceedingly sorrowful to the disciples. He says even to death stay here and watch with me. And all three, all three of his prayers, he said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Let's back up for a moment, though. Get in your picture the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes the 11 apostles. There's only 11 because Judas has already gone on to do his thing. He comes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he tells them, I want you to sit here. Just sit here for a little while. And he goes, Peter, James, and John, y'all come with me. He takes those three. He leaves the eight behind. He goes a little deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he stands there with the three of them. And he says, I want you to stand here and watch. Stand here and watch. Because he needed someone to watch for Judas and the soldiers to be coming to get him. And he knew that. And we're told that he went a stone's throw away. Now, I don't know if that's stone's throw like this or stone's throw like Aaron Rodgers. 
But that's, there was far enough away that they couldn't hear him, but they could see him. And so he goes a little further away, deeper into the garden. And Matthew tells us he fell on his face and he prayed. Mark says he fell on the ground and he prayed. Matthew says he said, oh, oh, father. Mark says he said, Abba, father. But any, either way, he was deep inside the garden praying, deeply distressed to God the father that this would be taken away from him. Think about the level of anxiety that he was going through at that point. He finishes praying. He walks back to Peter and James and John. The eight are still way over there. He walks back to Peter, James, and John. They're asleep. They're asleep. They're sound asleep, worn out. Can't even keep their eyelids open. He gets on to them. He says, can you not even sit up and watch? Do you not even understand what's about to happen? He goes back in deeper to the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays the same prayer again, deeply distressed. Comes back. They're asleep again. He does it a third time. He goes back in. He prays even harder. Let this cup pass from me. I don't know that I can do this. And he goes back and finds them and says, it's time. It's time. In fact, Luke uses the word agonia, Agony. He was in agony when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. Let this cup pass from me. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. On the cross. The anxiety that he felt on the cross when he says the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because there's two things to look at. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 tells us, Our iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's what happens. We get completely separated from God because of the sin that we commit. There's this huge chasm between us and God can't even look at us. God cannot turn his face towards us because of the sin that we committed. And that's how far we're separated from him when we, when we are doing sinful things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God became sin on that cross. Now, I don't know if it was anxiety or pressure that Jesus felt, knowing that he had to go through all of that physical suffering, that mental suffering, but this right here may have been one of the biggest reasons that he felt all that anxiety. Because for the first time in his entire immortal existence, he was separated from God. He had been with God his entire life. God was always there. But in this moment upon that cross, when he became sin for us, God turned his back on him. He could not be associated with sin. But Jesus became sin on that cross. To redeem us. To save us. And God was not with him at that moment. God had turned his back on Jesus. 
So if you think that Jesus did not experience anxiety, I think you're completely wrong. I think his entire life was full of anxiety. Even though he was the Son of God, he went through the same things that we go through. The anxiety that we face. And that's why we can have hope. We can have hope in our lives. Because we realize God uses anxiety in our lives as a tool to move us through those rough transitions. To get us through those changes to become better. It is an encourager to us. You may think, anxiety, I'm so nervous. I'm so worried. I stay up at night and I think about things that are going on in my life. How can anxiety be an encourager? Well, it encourages us to do better. It encourages us to do better. We have a high priest, Jesus, who knows and understands exactly, exactly what we go through because he suffered it with him, with it himself. Now, if we ever think we're alone in this, if we're experiencing anxiety in our life or worry or nervousness, not knowing what to do, there is still Jesus who knows exactly what it feels like to go through that. So this morning, are you feeling anxiety? Are you realizing Maybe your faith is wavering a little bit and it's not as strong as it needs to be. Are you a little uncomfortable? Do you need to turn back and get right? Maybe that's the anxiety being an encourager in your life. Telling you that you need to do better. Or perhaps you're not a Christian. You're sweating a little bit. You're feeling nervous. You're feeling worried about what's going to happen to me when this life is over. Because I'm not a Christian. Well, that's that anxiety that God's using as an encourager in your life. And now is the time. Come forward. Confess of your sins. Repent of a sinful way of life. Confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Be baptized in water for the remission of sins. And that anxiety goes away. It goes completely away because you know that when this life is over, you're going to be with Him in heaven. So this morning, if you need anything like that, won't you come forward while we stand and sing?